Welcome to the Duathlon Show. This episode, Oh Champs-Élysées, Americans at the 2023 Tour de France, a review. Two episodes ago, I did a preview on all the Americans who would be at the Tour de France this year. There turned out to be six American riders starting the race. The tour is now over, and the Dane Jonas Vingago of the Jumbo Visma team defeated Slovenian Tadej Pogaca of the rival UAE Team Emirates squad for the second year in a row. So it's a good time to check back in on our American friends to see how they did in Dusseflons in this TDF 2023 recap and review. I'm going to discuss the riders roughly in order of the impact they had in the race, with the most important coming first. First rider I'll mention is Nielsen Paulus. He was in the breakaway in six stages, for a total of 759 kilometers, or 471 miles, ahead of the peloton. He ended up finishing fourth in the King of the Mountains competition. He led this competition from stages 1 through 4, and stage 6 through stage 13. His performance was the highlight for the American EF Education Easy Post team, who ultimately did not go on to win a stage. Nielsen ended up 66th in the general classification, at 3 hours, 37 minutes, and 30 seconds behind Jonas. In my race preview, I wondered whether he would go for GC or for stages. It turned out to be option 3, a spirited KOM chase. A stage win, of course, would have made this an incredible tour, but Nielsen's days in the polka dots of the best climbers jersey represent another big career highlight for the 26-year-old. Ultimately, he didn't leave the race in possession of that jersey, coming fourth. Perhaps his problem was not committing to the full polka dot look, top and bottom. He tried red bottoms and then black ones. When the ultimate KOM winner, Giulio Ciccone, got the Mayo Apois, He went full polka dots, top and bottom, jersey and bibs. That's the aesthetically superior choice. Google Nielsen Palace KOM and then Giulio Ciccone KOM and compare the images you find. Second rider I'll mention is Sepp Kuss. Sepp ended up the best placed American in the general classification race at 12th. He was 37 minutes and 32 seconds behind his teammate Jonas Vingago. He would have finished in the top 10 had he not come down in a crash on the penultimate stage. The Eagle of Durango finished bandaged and bloody from cuts on the head, truly the picture of a warrior. He had a great tour working for his leader Jonas Vinkago, and their quest ended in success as Jonas took the overall GC and took home the race's final yellow jersey after leading since stage 6. Sepp's best result was a 5th place in stage 14, ending in Morzine Le Porte du Soleil. Sepp was 6th in GC after that stage. He was never racing his own race, though. Sepp is one of the strongest domestiques in the race, which seems to be the role he prefers. He's got the winning touch in Grand Tours this year. He contributed massively to Primoz Roglic's win in the Giro d'Italia in May, then turned right around and helped Jonas to the win in July. In modern cycling, most riders do not ride two Grand Tours in a row like that. And Sepp might be able to pull off the GT trifecta. He's currently on his team's long list for the Vuelta a España starting August 26, 2023. Sepp was quoted as saying the following, Everything depends on how I recover and how I feel in the training sessions. 
It was a surprise that I was allowed to ride the Giro. In the end, I did very well there. It also turned out to be a good preparation for the tour. As a domestique, this combination is easy to make." End quote. The fact that a guy like Sepkus says that's easy when I just told you it's definitely not, and I truly do believe it's definitely not easy to do two Grand Tours in a row, even as a domestique, just tells you how strong of a cyclist this guy is. The Vuelta this year could provide some incredible GC excitement, with Jumbo Visma set to bring Roglic and Vingago as co-leaders. I'm sure both of them will definitely want Koos alongside to help them clash with superstars like last year's Vuelta winner Remco Evenepoel of Sudal Quickstep and 2018 Tour de France champion Geraint Thomas of Ineos Grenadiers. Yumbo has the unique opportunity to win all three Grand Tours in one season. If Koos turns out to be present for three GT victories, that would have to make him the top mountain domestique in the world. Next American rider is Matteo Jorgensen. Before the race in my preview, I wondered whether he would go for stages or be a secondary GC leader along Movistar teammate Enric Maas. It turns out the answer was stages, even if Maas abandoned the race with an injury on the very first stage. No one at Movistar was anywhere close on GC, it turns out. Matteo actually tore a thigh muscle and left the tour after stage 15. He'll probably call it a disappointing race because he was not able to finish in the top 10 of GC after being 20th last year. He was 48th in GC when he had to abandon the race this year. And for the second year in a row, he came agonizingly close but again did not win a stage at the Grand Boucle. His best stage results were a 4th place in stage 9 and a 3rd place in stage 12. That 4th place up Puy de Dome in stage 9 was actually the highlight of Matteo's tour. He came closer to the win there than he did on stage 12, finishing only 36 seconds behind the winner, fellow North American, the Canadian Mike Woods. Stage 12, he was third place, but 58 seconds behind the winner. Matteo entered the climb of the mythical Puy de Dome volcanic mountain solo with a minute gap on his competitors. He looked strong for the win up until the final kilometer of this 12.6 kilometer, 7.8% grade climb. Sadly, there he began to blow up and was passed not only by one rider but by two more, nudging him off the stage podium and into fourth. After third place on stage 12, Matteo was visibly and audibly frustrated in his post-stage interview. It's frustrating, day. frustrating. Uh, yeah, I had the legs to win, but just uh, was the most marked man in that group, and yeah, just didn't didn't play out. It's really. Matteo Jorgensen may have left the tour in a disappointed mood, but perhaps rumors of a three-year contract starting next year with Dutch super team Jumbo Visma might ease the pain somewhat. Jorgensen at Jumbo would probably play a domestique role more often than he's been asked to do so this year at Movistar. But a move up to a bigger team may also free him up to get that first TDF stage win. You only have to look at the performances of Wout van Aert and Christophe Laporte, both stage winners in last year's tour, to know that the Yumbo Visma Super Domestiques can often find themselves in stage winning positions, thanks to the GC strength of their team. Next rider is Lawson Craddock. Quote, when I was selected for the Tour de France, it was based on my versatility as a rider. Being able to cross over from the engine room, that group of guys who do the work in the wind, and then support Simon as best I can in the climbs. 
in the first two weeks, to be honest, I felt like I hadn't done that much to justify my spot. So I was motivated to prove to the team and myself why I deserve to be here. Racing hard and having an impact on the race has been an enjoyable way to come out of the second week and into the third week. End quote. As Lawson indicates in those quotes from a diary he kept for Velo magazine, his job was to do the hard domestique work for his GC team leader Simon Yates and his sprint leader Dylan Groenewegen. I'd agree with his own assessment. He was quiet at the outset of the race, but he showed himself strongly near the end. In stage 15 to Saint-Gervais-Mont-Blanc, he finished a strong fourth place after 139 kilometers in the breakaway. And in stage 17, ending in Courchevel, he did massive work to drag his team leader Simon Yates into the day's breakaway and onto the base of the decisive Col de la Lose climb with a lead over his GC competitors back in the peloton. Lawson ended up finishing the stage 33 minutes down, but Yates came second overall, gaining minutes on some of his closest rivals. Job well done by Lawson, with Yates eventually ending up in 4th place overall in the GC, one spot below twin brother Adam Yates of Team UAE Emirates. Sadly for Lawson's Australian Jayco Alula team, sprint leader Khunavakan was unable to leave the race with a stage win, ending up third in his final chance in stage 21 on the Champs-Élysées. Lawson's fourth place was his best ever stage result at the Tour de France. The 31-year-old rider proved himself again to be a rock-solid and uber-versatile domestique. Next rider is Kevin Vermaka. He showed fairly decent strength, but a weak team left him a bit adrift in this race. With no leader to support and no super strong teammates and brakes to support him, he unfortunately wasn't able to show himself to his full potential. In stage 17 to Courchevel, where the riders tackled the gigantic 28km 6% call de la Lose, Kevin was in the breakaway for 99km but eventually dropped out of it, finishing the stage 30th. In stage 20, he rode in an attacking manner, but ultimately didn't make the day's breakaway. He did have his best stage placement of 23rd. It's days like this one, where no DSM Fermanick riders got into the break, that represent potential missed opportunities for Kevin. This year's race showed again and again the benefits of having two teammates in a breakaway. If, in a break of 20 or 10, you have a teammate, he can pull in the flat sections and valleys, sheltering you from the wind. A lighter rider like Kevin, 148 pounds soaking wet, can save energy and then attempt to break away again on the climbs where they have an advantage. Your breakaway teammate helper has no chance to go all the way, but he can sacrifice himself to shelter you and increase the odds that the breakaway you're in goes to the line. This works even better if your teammate is a bigger rider with more absolute watts than you, who can pull harder and farther into the wind than a whippet-thin climber. None of your breakaway companions will complain if your guy pulls them along too. That's just game theory. Kevin's DSM team's lack of strong performances this race meant that he didn't get the chance to get into any decisive breaks with teammates, either as a helper or as the protected rider. No American riders won a stage this year, and even if he had gotten in two or three more good breakaways during this race, the odds are he still wouldn't have won a stage. But compare his record to Jorgensen or Craddock or Koos. Matteo Jorgensen won zero stages, but came heartbreakingly close twice and made a big impact on the race. 
big impacts get you big contracts with big teams like Yumbo Visma, reportedly. And Craddock and Coos got to show themselves working hard for leaders who had some success. Simon Yates was fourth, thanks in part to good work from Lawson Craddock, and Coos was a mountain superstar helper for first place Jonas. Showing up on television riding hard at the front as a domestique is another good way to get yourself a decent sized contract in pro cycling. Vermaka suffered in this race from the fact that his team leader, Choman Bardet, crashed out and was forced to abandon during stage 14. Bardet was 12th at that moment. A chance to drag his leader up into the top 10 of the Tour de France might have helped to show himself off. Alas, it was not to be this year. But a first successful finish on the Champs-Élysées, after being forced to abandon his first tour last year through injury, will definitely leave a sweet champagne aftertaste for the young American from Los Angeles. Quinn Simmons This rider was crowned USA National Champion a few days after I released my preview episode for this tour, in which I expressed doubts over whether he would be selected or not. In the end, he did appear at the Tour with his Lidl Trek team, but he did not finish the race. He was forced to abandon the Tour de France ahead of Stage 9 after crashing heavily on Stage 5 and struggling with recovery. Quote, Since his heavy crash on Stage 5, Quinn's condition has not improved as we had hoped. He still feels stiffness and fatigue, so we have decided to stop him to focus on his recovery. End quote. That was a statement from the Lidl Trek team. His goal at the Tour was a stage win and to support team leaders Matthias Skielmose for the GC and Metz Pedersen for sprints. Quote, If I leave without a stage win, then the Tour is a disappointment for me personally. End quote. Ultimately, those goals went unfulfilled for Quinn Simmons. Prior to the crash on Stage 5, his best result was a finish of 121st in Stage 1 from Bilbao to Bilbao. So, what can we say about this Tour de France from an American perspective? Six Americans started the race, four finished, zero stages were won, and the best-placed GC rider was Sepkus at 12th overall, over 30 minutes down. Let's compare the USA to other cycling nations at the planet's biggest bike race. With six riders, the US tied Austria for 11th in the number of riders by nationality rankings. Austria left with one stage win, though, through Egy Duzard Citroën's Felix Gall. France, of course, was the nation with the most riders at the race, with 32. Belgium was second with 21. The Netherlands and Spain tied for third at 14. Australia, Denmark, Norway, Germany, Great Britain, and Italy rounded out the top 10. With zero stage wins for six riders, the USA has company in misery. Norway with 8 riders, Germany and Italy at 7 riders each, both had 0 stage wins as well. The smallest nation to win a stage was Poland through Mikhail Kwiatkowski, Poland sending only 2 riders. For the record, Costa Rica, Ecuador, Eritrea, Latvia, Slovakia, and South Africa were joint last in the league table with 1 rider each at the tour. USA's last stage win was in 2021 through Sepp Kuss. In conclusion, you'd have to say that this was actually a decent tour for American cyclists. Okay, so we aren't winning big mountain stages and winning GC anymore like in the bad old days of Lance and his gang of unredeemed and semi-redeemed dopers. 
but Nielsen Paulus, Sepp Kuss, Matteo Jorgensen, Lawson Craddock, Kevin Vermaka, and Quinn Simmons all made an impact on the race, more or less in that order of importance in which I've mentioned them, with Paulus's KOM days standing out. I'll give this American performance at the Tour de France a 9 out of 13 flag stripes rating. By the way, watch out for the Armstrong comeback. The trial balloon has already been launched. He's apparently appeared on Fox's Stars on Mars reality TV series. Whatever that is. F. Scott Fitzgerald is famously quoted out of context, a context I'll repeat here, as saying, there are no second acts in American lives. Well, Frankie, that's probably false. Look at the current and previous American presidents and tell me with a straight face there's no second acts. Lance Armstrong has an interest in becoming, let's call it, undisgraced. The undisgraced can make a lot of money in this country. So improving, or you might say laundering, his reputation one more time seems to be a process currently underway down in Lance world. Will it be successful? Probably. Second acts and all. Hey, did you know he also has a podcast? Lance, if you're listening, I know you are. You come from a triathlon background. Lance, let's do reciprocal podcast appearances. You can ask me the hard questions about my checkered past, and then when you come on the duathlon show, I'll lob you softball questions about your early investment in Uber and uh, what business decisions you're most proud of. Thanks so much for tuning in to this review and recap of the American Riders at the 2023 Tour de France. I hope to see you again soon for another episode of the Duathlon Show, all about the world of Run, Bike, Run. Stay dry, everyone. You can follow the Duathlon Show on Twitter and YouTube at the Duathlon Show. Questions or comments? The Duathlon Show at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a good rating and review on the platform where you found it and tell your friends. You can support The Duathlon Show by donating at ko-fi.com slash theduathlonshow.